Welcome back to the Seen and Not Heard podcast, the podcast that is your weekly dirty little secret, which is fine by me, as long as you keep it. I'm Melrose, your host, and this is season one, episode nine. I know that last week's episode was a really difficult one to get through, especially for me, and especially for those who know me. But I do have to say that the amount of outreach and support you guys have given me since that episode aired has definitely made it all worth it. From the industry colleagues that came forward to people in my own chat room to complete strangers who just happened to catch the episode, all of your kindness that you've shown me in response to such a hard story, it matters. Love always wins. And the love I felt after that episode aired was truly immense. So thank you guys. Really. When I was little, my mom worked third shift overnight at a retirement home. She was already a single mom, and this was one of the three jobs that she had trying to make ends meet for my brother and I. My brother was older. There's seven years between us, so he would often stay the night at friends' houses while my mom would take me to work with her, and I'd sleep on the couch in the back office and just go to school the next day. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I could swim in the pool, watch movies in the theater, play piano at the top of this big spiral staircase, and eat endless candy out of the vending machines. I think that's the thing about being poor that's wonderful. You don't actually know you're poor most of the time, at least not as a kid. My mom never showed us how hard things were. It was just always this fun adventure we were on. She worked at this retirement home for quite a while, and a lot of the elderly people there knew me by name. We would hang out, they'd play games with me. But eventually, the management told my mother that it was brought to their attention that I was spending nights sleeping in the back office, and they told her that she needed to either leave me at home with the sitter or lose her job, so she quit. Little did we know, though, that that wouldn't be the last time we'd end up in that retirement home. I wouldn't be the only family member that would spend nights there. It was foreshadowing the fates of not one, but two of my own family members, actually. It's so strange how life happens that way. I didn't see my grandmother often. She lived in Canada, so we hardly ever visited, and it was pretty far and few between when she actually came down to the United States. One summer, however, she flew up my cousin and I to spend a week or two in Calgary with her. This was one of my first real detailed memories of spending time with my grandmother. She was magnificent. She was imaginative and creative and so much fun. She would paint the most detailed and beautiful pictures. She even had a painted mural over the entire outdoor wall in her backyard. It was this mountainscape that seemed to go on forever. It was so detailed that your eyes and your mind would just get lost staring into it. I remember after that trip thinking, oh, this is where I get my creative side from. I was about 15 on this trip to Alberta so my cousin would have been 16. On that trip, my grandma took us on shopping sprees for school clothes and she created a secret society that only her, my cousin, and I could be members of. 
one of the nights I was complaining about missing my first ever high school boyfriend and she helped me make a scrapbook for him about our trip so that it could feel like he got to be there with me. This trip has always stuck with me because this was the last lasting impression I had of my mother's mother. She was this insanely beautiful, kind, loving, spontaneous, friendly, charming, funny, passionate, creative soul of a human. But that woman, she's gone now. She's been replaced by a lookalike who is unrecognizable to the grandmother I knew and loved. Now, she is a shadow of her former self. Rapid cycle, manic depressive, bipolar disorder does that to a person. I didn't understand any of this in 2014 when my mom and I had sat down to discuss my grandma moving down to the States. I had bought my first house at 21 with the money I'd made webcamming so that my mother could live with me and save for retirement. And because no one else in our family owned a house at that time, so this was my attempt to make sure that every single person in our family always had somewhere to go. My grandmother had been kicked out of her mental health group home in Canada, and with my mom and most of my mom's sisters here in the US, it made sense to move my grandma down here, where more people could help and pitch in to manage her illness. My mom and I decided that I would move out of my house. My mother would move her sister and her sister's family in along with my grandmother. This way all the responsibilities were shared. Meanwhile, I moved about 30 minutes away into my own apartment to go about life as usual. I couldn't live in a house with all these other people when I needed to be able to webcam comfortably for a living. So this was just a good compromise for everyone at the time. I had been told as far back as I can remember that grandma was crazy. But you don't exactly know what that means until you see it firsthand as an adult. I had no experience with mental illness aside from my own bouts with anxiety or eating disorders. My grandmother moved in about a month after that first discussion along with everyone else and I moved out. I wasn't really that involved at first. I was living my life and every now and then I would hear a crazy Nana story. We call my grandmother Nana for short. At first they were rare, but within the year they became constant. She would go from extreme highs being manic to the point where she's so happy and talkative and then rapidly switches to anger and paranoia. Sometimes she wouldn't sleep and she'd be up all night cleaning or organizing. It sounds great to you listening to it, but what she considered cleaning or organizing in her state of delusion was actually going through somebody else's important things and hiding or misplacing them. Occasionally, if she found something she'd like, she'd just steal it and hide it in her bedroom. There was even an incident where she became so enraged that she ran towards me as if she were going to attack me but she tripped on something and fell onto the floor. Me and my cousin helped her up, but when she got up, she was in a totally different mood altogether, as if that just didn't happen. Her and my cousin went upstairs to make milkshakes. Another incident was 
When I was searching through paperwork at the house, she was standing behind me, calling me a whore because I was dressed up in a long skirt and heels because I had a meeting to go to for the company I owned. Eventually, her highs would come down and usually they'd come down hard. She'd become so depressed that she would literally lay around all day, hardly talking or responding to any of us at all. It was around this time I really started to see what the disease was, what it could do. All the logic was gone. She was nearly two different people and neither one of them was the grandmother I knew. And like with most things, this too was gonna get worse before it got better. My grandmother started hiding all of her medications she was no longer taking them, and because she was legally deemed fit to make her own decisions for herself, there really wasn't anything my aunt or my mom or me could do about it. The other thing about a disease like this is that it's constantly changing. Her medication regime had to constantly evolve alongside it, like this ever-losing game of cat and mouse. There was no magic pill to make her level again. We were all at the mercy of her disease, and her off her medications was like trying to wrangle a tornado. She would somehow make her way around town doing terrible things and causing irreversible damage, not to mention spending thousands of dollars. I was watching my family unravel. Everyone was exhausted. My own mom, she was smoking again. Between managing grandma's doctor appointments and trying to take care of her medications and having the house in disarray from my grandmother's quote-unquote cleaning expeditions, we were all at our wit's end. Then, my grandmother started becoming manipulative. She would make up stories about how the family was mistreating her, especially about my mother, as my mom was taking on most of the obligations. My grandmother had somehow come to the conclusion that my mom was the enemy. And by association, as my mother's daughter, I was too. She would tell people that she was being abused in our home. She'd file false police reports claiming that my mother stole $30,000 from her because my grandmother didn't remember spending it when she was manic. We must have had the police called to our house about 50 times that year, half from my grandmother and half from us, trying to get help with her. My grandmother would call constantly telling the cops that we're stealing from her or abusing her or some terrible thing. And then we would have to call to get help or assistance, trying to get her taken to a mental facility for a psychiatric hold while we could straighten out our medications. The biggest issue we ran into was all of the red tape in Illinois that didn't allow us to help her. We weren't her legal guardian or her power of attorney. And when we finally did become her power of attorney, that wasn't actually enough to seek help or have her hospitalized when she was at her extreme highs or extreme lows. The only advice that the mental health organization in town was giving us was that we had to let my grandmother destroy herself so that we could then apply for guardianship and take care of her. I think that was when everything really sank in for me. This is the best we can do? as a modern Western civilization to battle mental illness. Let them destroy their lives and the lives of people around them 
and then help can be provided. It was such a rude awakening for me, as this was my first real look at what happens to elderly people in general in this country. The way we charge them upwards of five to seven thousand dollars a month for adequate living arrangements in retirement homes or senior living communities. I was learning so much and all of it was sad. We ultimately did what the mental health organization advised us to. We let my grandmother implode. I had to legally evict her from our family home the home that I had purchased to take care of everyone with. It felt like a failure. It felt like my mom and I had been outmatched. And I know it broke my mom's heart because my grandmother, in a moment of clarity, had begged my mom to never let her be homeless because my Nana had watched her own mom be destroyed by the same exact illness. And now, her worst fears were becoming real as she disappeared into herself and didn't come back to visit us much after that. My grandmother had other family members who were willing to let her stay with them when we did this, but she was so far gone at this point in her mind that she thought we were all just conspiring against her. So she ultimately ended up at a homeless shelter, at which point we were able to have her hospitalized hook back on medications and take guardianship. Now, she is at a retirement home, but unfortunately, it's not a very nice one as she didn't have much money left after that year to have anything else. My mom and her sisters visit her often. My aunt and uncle even lived at that same retirement home before my aunt's dementia set in and we had to get her even more help at a state-run facility, which is actually much worse than the nursing home was. We got my grandmother's illness under some level of control, but those years of having it out of control have decimated her. Why is it that we look up to the elderly for wisdom and experience just to disregard them at the end of their lives when things become hard to manage? My uncle and aunt, who had originally joined her at the retirement home, have their own story. They lost a child to a drug overdose. My uncle, he beat cancer twice, solely for the reason to live out his days next to my aunt. But for my aunt, the mental stress of her lifetime experiences has rendered her mind useless today. She hallucinates and experiences terrible things that aren't real to any of us, but are completely real to her. My uncle fought his cancer battle so hard just to be separated from his wife when they moved her out of the retirement home into the state-run facility for better care. Now, he spends his days traveling to and from where she is at, even though some days she just argues and fights with him, and other days she doesn't recognize him or any of us at all. I can't fathom what it's like to have your own mind betray you. We only know the world as we process it from our own individual perspectives. That has its own bias built into it, but at least we can separate reality from illusion. What if you couldn't? What if you were seeing and hearing things that were real to you 
but to no one else. You would think you were going crazy. And just the thought of thinking you're going crazy is enough to make you that way. What if one day you truly believed that people you loved were out to get you? That they were stealing money from you and trying to gain legal custody over your life and get you locked up in some retirement community that you had never heard of. That was all real to her. It is one of my greatest fears in life to end up like that, to be disassociated from reality, hating everyone who loves me and winding up alone. There is nothing scarier on earth to me than a slow, painful death of my mind and then ultimately me. I don't know what the right answers are on how to improve the lives of people in the situation either. I don't know what the proper step should be to take legal guardianship over someone else's life. There are terrible people in this world who do things like that for horrific reasons. But I do know that a senior living association shouldn't be three or four times the rent that everyone else has to pay. I know that big corporations shouldn't be bleeding our elderly populations dry until they die. I do know that there has to be a better way to handle mental health. Just like there has to be a better way to handle insurance and healthcare as a whole. We just all need to decide, together, that we want to figure that out. Because if we don't, it will inevitably happen in its own variation to each and every one of us. I'm Melrose, and this has been episode 9 of the Seen and Not Heard podcast. Thank you this week to my family. Talking about this just makes me love and appreciate you all even more because the way we come together and help one another when I need. We are so blessed to belong to each other. Want to be an individual supporter and sponsor for the podcast? All you have to do is go to anchor.fm forward slash Melrose. That's anchor.fm forward slash Melrose and click support the podcast to donate whatever amount you want per month to help fund more episodes like today's. Next week on the Seen and Not Heard podcast. I wanted to gain a little perspective from the sex work industry that I don't actually have experience in. I think all women have secretly wondered what it would be like to be a high-end escort, making thousands of dollars a day for an hour or so of work. We watch movies about it and TV shows about it, but no one ever talks about it openly. Those are only fantasies for most, and for me personally, I can't separate sex from emotions. I would never last in that line of work. It requires so much of you mentally and emotionally and physically. So instead, I brought on a beautiful, smart young lady who was able to. She is a retired Canadian escort and has a lot of stories about her time in the industry. And lucky for us, she's agreed to share some of them.